You guys can have a seat. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you guys. What a blessing it is to be here with you tonight. Uh, this is actually only our second uh, Christmas holiday service since Aletheia Church uh, was launched in 2013. So it's kind of like a, another little milestone of excitement. Uh, for me to be here to worship with you um, this evening. But we're here to do just one thing tonight, and that's to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ because Jesus is worthy. You know, I think there's been no one on earth, uh, nor will there ever be anyone ever born of man on earth, um, that will have had the impact of a little baby boy being born a couple thousand years ago. He's completely altered human history because he's not just any normal child, but he's God's son in the flesh who came to rescue us. And so I want us tonight to look again uh, at the story of Luke 2 because it wouldn't be a Christmas service if we weren't in Luke 2, correct? Um, but in light of what Israel was longing for, what Israel had been hoping for for thousands of years, and I want us to see why the arrival of Jesus was such great news for Israel, but ultimately uh, for us as well. You know, our readings tonight uh, were, were from the prophet Isaiah. And, and what you need to know about the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah is, is writing um, years before um, judgment and, and exile come to Israel. And, and, and Israel will end up abandoning God and what is to follow from that, that abandonment is nothing but destruction and exile, both from Assyria and then later on the Babylonians. But after a period of discipline and exile, a faithful remnant will return to Jerusalem and the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, will establish a reign that will honor God and last forever. The, these are the promises that we see in the book of Isaiah. And from history, we know that, in fact, Israel did rebel against God, and God used Assyria and the Babylonians to conquer and send Israel into exile. But during this, there were a faithful remnant who longed for God to reestablish Israel and rescue his people. And the reason that they hoped and longed for this is because God had promised this rescue to them. It wasn't just as if they had some notion or idea that life could be better someday. No, they genuinely believed that God would return and set all things right for them. And so in Isaiah 7, 14, uh, the first passage that was read to us this evening, we saw that God himself promises uh, King Ahaz, that the Lord himself will give a sign and the sign that he is going to give to reestablish his kingdom and reestablish his people is that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name will be Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel means God with us. And so what God is declaring to King Ahaz is that in this period of exile where it appears as if God is no longer with his people, that he's no longer speaking, that they are without hope, that God himself will return and dwell amongst his people again. That God will set everything right again. 
And then just a couple chapters later in Isaiah chapter 9, we saw more promises about the child who will fix everything. Promises concerning this child that the government would be set upon his shoulder. But I want you to look at the things that Isaiah claims will be true of this king, this child that will be born. He calls him Wonderful Counselor. Finally, at last, God's people will have a king who brings wisdom. He will be called Mighty God, that he will be God in the flesh for his people. He'll be called Everlasting Father because of his kingdom, there will be no end. And he will be called Prince of Peace because where there is once enmity, strife and war amongst God's people, it will be done away with under his rule. Isaiah goes on to promise and says that an of, of an increase of his government, there will be no end. That the kingdom of God underneath the rule of this child will continue to expand and that God's people will be underneath the empire of grace forever. And every moment of this kingdom will be better than the last. And this kingdom will be used to establish justice and righteousness. Now I want you to think for a moment just about these promises that Isaiah gives. Because, you know, think about their need for a counselor. Their need for wisdom as a people. Here you had the, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the ones that had been given the, the, the law, had been given the truth about God, and yet they had strayed from that and had gone their own way. They had worshiped other gods. They had worshiped their own power. And the more they sought wisdom to rescue themselves from the plight that they found themselves in consistently, the more they found that the wisdom of man and the gods they ran after brought nothing. And yet God says, I will make it right. I will send a counselor. They were a nation constantly at war because of their disobedience. And God says, no worries. I will send a prince of peace. They were a nation that took advantage of the oppressed, the poor, the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. And I know that, you know, here in the United States, especially we're fond of dem democracy, but imagine just for a moment a just and righteous government led by a just and righteous king. This is what God was promising. See, Israel longed for this. They longed for this healing, this peace, this leadership, this justice, and this righteousness. And so in light of that, turn over to Luke chapter 2 with me. Because God's people longed for this king to arrive. And I want you to look starting in verse 1 with me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, so interestingly enough, one of the reasons why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem was because of a promise that God had made to his people through the the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. But Caesar Augustus here, this Roman king, has decreed that a census is to take place for Rome, and Mary and Joseph head to Bethlehem. Mary's betrothed, which means she's engaged to be married, and Mary is still a virgin. Sound familiar? It's exactly what God had promised would come to pass in Isaiah chapter 7. And Mary gives birth to this baby. And what happens next is this beautiful scene of God beginning to unveil to his people that the Messiah has finally arrived. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told about them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You know, so here you have on this night, Jesus being born. It seems like just anything else other than Mary and Joseph had no place to stay that evening at the inn. And there's shepherds in the field and the angel of the Lord shows up in front of these shepherds. And you'll notice throughout scripture that whenever an angel or a messenger of the Lord shows up, the immediate response of whoever is in the Lord's presence or in these angels' presence is one of fear. And the shepherds experience the exact same thing, right? They see the, the, the angel appear and their immediate thought is, we're done. It's over. Right? We've done something. God is here to punish us. Right? But the angel cries out immediately, fear not, for I have good news of great joy for all people. And this is something that's really, really important. And if, you're, if, you, if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. 
right? The, the angel declaring to them that this is good news for everyone, not just Israel, not just the shepherds, that this king who is to arrive, this long-awaited Messiah that Israel had hoped for has come to set all things right. But in this, he's also going to go to the nations and rescue all the earth for the glory of God. So he says, this good news is for everyone that the baby Jesus is born, Christ the Messiah, the Lord God, and you'll see him in Bethlehem lying in a manger. And then I always kind of like love this portion of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. It says that a bunch of angels just show up in the, in the sky. I don't know if it's like the hallelujah choir or what's going on here, but they immediately just start singing out glory to God in the highest. They're declaring for all who can hear out on this hillside as these shepherds tend to their flock, look what God has done. Look at what he has done on this quiet night in Bethlehem under Roman control and oppression. The Messiah has been born. Let us rejoice. And then the angels just vanish, right? Could you imagine? It's like this beautiful music. They're singing the praises of God. And then as quickly as they were there, they're gone. And I imagine if I had been one of the shepherds, I'd have kind of been like, what is going on here? Like, like what is happening? I'm not highly educated. I tend to sheep. What is happening right now? But I think there's something really beautiful in the midst of who is the first to have this announced to them? God chose the lowly shepherds to have the first announcement of the arrival of the Messiah. And as they tend their flock, God communicates something really beautiful to us here. That he's for everyone, including the lowly. And that he cares deeply for them. And these shepherds are so overcome with emotion and joy that it says they immediately leave their flock. And this is a huge deal because this is their livelihood at stake here. You know, they, they are out on the, on the hillside following after their sheep and tending to them because if they lose them, they will starve and be undone. And yet they leave their entire livelihood, because when the king arrives, you go to worship him. And they leave to worship Jesus. And immediately after, upon seeing the baby, just as the angels had told him, it says that they begin to testify about him to anyone who would hear. And I love this last line. All who heard it wondered. They didn't reject him. But they didn't accept either. They just pondered, what? what's going on here? Church, we have a distinct advantage over the people that heard that testimony of the shepherds that night. Because what they did not yet know about this child who had been born in Bethlehem, we know. When they were unsure of this child as God's Messiah, we need not be. This child would go on to 
live with his family to train as a carpenter and then at around 30 years of age begin his public ministry. And as he starts his ministry and he goes out, he, he heals people, he leads his disciples from town to town. He goes declaring the kingdom of God is at hand to repent and believe. And he begins to tell his disciples over the course of his three years of ministry that the son of man, which is a name he would often use for himself, must suffer and die at the hands of wicked men. And as he enters into Jerusalem at Passover, the third year of his ministry, he's arrested, wrongly tried, crucified, and buried. But one of the things that this man who was once a baby laying in a manger in Bethlehem told his disciples as they were preparing for that week in Jerusalem was that the son of man had to be murdered by wicked men so that he might rise again. And see, what was being accomplished as Christ did that is what theologians call the great exchange. That Jesus, sent by the Father to perform the Father's will, was fully taking on the wrath of God for our sin. He was paying the price for our rebellion. And in that, he wasn't just taking on our sin, but that he was giving to us his righteousness. So that in Christ, God is well pleased with us. The same Jesus who laid in that manger and that the angels declared to the shepherds to go see is the one who rescued each and every one of us. And here's the good news. Jesus is exactly what the prophet Isaiah said he would be. He is our wonderful counselor, right? James promises us in James 1, 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That the promise of those who are in Christ that we can boldly approach God for wisdom and it's given because we have a wonderful counselor. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, the Apostle Paul says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church, he is the firstborn and the head of the church, and he is our everlasting father, leading his church to true worship of God. And lastly, Jesus is the prince of peace. 
that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5. Right? In Romans 5, Paul says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then back up in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, we gather on this night to celebrate our King, to worship our Messiah, to affirm that God is with us in Christ, and to celebrate that God did exactly what he promised to do, that Christ came humbly as a child on that Christmas night, born to no fame, to no glory, to no renown, that Christ lived holy and obedient to God, serving us and saving us, his people, and that he died blameless for us because he is the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago. Guys, I don't know if it was on December 25th. I don't, I wasn't there. I think maybe the early church robbed the winter solstice festival to make it about Jesus, and I'm glad they did. But when he was actually born, I don't know. But here's what I do know. He's alive still. He's ruling and reigning, and we worship him tonight. Not just because of the advent of his first coming that we just read about and that we celebrate, but expectantly hoping for the advent of his second coming. Where we will for eternity worship and serve him as his children.